0: Today on the podcast I have my longtime friend Jess McLaughlin. Jess was born and raised in Kansas City and still calls it home today. She's been married to her husband Matt for almost three years and his mama Tamila who's one and a half years old and a rescue pup penny. Fun fact she's a fraternal twin to shout Amanda. out Amanda and Katie, my big sister because I will hear about it if she doesn't get her shout out too. And now you're going to be in trouble for saying that. (laughs) Um, Jess executes marketing campaigns for large brands in the retail grocery industry by day, but there's nothing she takes more seriously than her most important job, being a mom. She's very passionate about mental health and making this topic commonplace and not something people should be ashamed of or shy away from talking about. And before we get going, I want to introduce our trigger warning, which is talking about traumatic experience with a psychiatric facility. Jessica and I met when we were 11 or 12 in seventh grade those fun awkward years yeah they were super not fun yeah but what's interesting is like we were both going through some pretty heavy stuff at the time i don't know if it was just our age or if it was just like the time like people didn't really talk about things like that so Mm -hmm. while i knew i remember knowing that you had anxiety and that was the first i'd really ever heard of anxiety which is interesting because i had it too but i didn't know it at the time Mm -hmm. but um, but other than that, I didn't know, you know, what was really going on under the hood for you. But there was there was quite a bit going on in your life at that time.
1: Yeah, I think at that age, too, you just I don't know. It's interesting how already at 13, 12 or 13, I mean, there's obviously a lot going on. You have like puberty is starting and um i'm just gonna say girls we've talked about this girls are intense um so we both were very in tune to what people thought about us Mm -hmm. early on i think so i know i always felt like this pressure to look like i had it all together like that started so young really young like probably before that age So around that time frame, my parents got divorced, and I remember thinking, like, my parents would never get divorced. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember thinking I had the picture-perfect American family, whatever that even means. Like, that, again, is, like, worth exploring another day of, like, how at, you know, 12 or 13 do you already have this quote-unquote American family image in your mind like where do we even does that come from learn that yeah so I remember thinking in my mind like I have a mom and dad who love me so much and I do that's still true today but I never imagined that our family story would be a broken family and now I can say that knowing like that that our story has been redeemed and restored and we are a beautifully blended family um but yeah it was something like you didn't come to school and say like Hey, my mom and dad just told me they're getting divorced. Like, how are your how's your parents' marriage? Like, <laughs> you don't talk about that stuff. So, yeah, you're carrying a lot at yeah. that age and I group you and I into like the same category a lot because we have a lot in common with our personalities of just like we carry things that of others that we never needed to carry. So I was, you know, feeling for my mom, feeling for my dad, feeling for everyone, feeling for my sisters while also living through the
0: experience. Feeling for yourself, which is a lot.
1: I don't know. Yeah, as much as I think anxiety, obviously it's environmental, but it's, there's so many variables that go into it. When I look back, it started, way, you know, pre my parents' divorce, but in different ways of, you know, whether that was succeeding academically, already being aware of that in what, second grade, if not earlier, like those things. So I think it can be a personality trait, but more than anything, it is learned, anxiety is. So there was a lot going on then, and we were, you and I got acquainted kind of, and you were dealing with your own stuff too and I think again yeah it's not like we were like hey
0: well when you're that age you're so like and I don't mean this in like a bad way but kids are just self absorbed Mm -hmm. just like that I was so in my head about how I was being perceived Mm -hmm. and like my own anxiety that I I wasn't able to be like aware of what was going on with you or like other kids well you you don't have that you don't have that maturity yet yeah and you shouldn't because you're a child, still. And then we went to high school together, um, and we were kind of in different groups of friends. Again, mm. still kind of like a lot of mean girls stuff going oh, on, yeah. like clicky stuff. So clicky. So clicky. <sighs> Would never go back. Uh, <laughs> and then we kind of, I feel like, <sighs> for the first time became like real friends our senior year of high school Mm -hmm. and then um Jessica went off to Mizzou and I went to K-State and we I feel like that's when our friendship really kind of budded and Mm -hmm. I know that you want to mention our Christmas card, our senior year.
1: (laughs) Yes, I need everyone to know that um, it was my idea, too. Of course, Morgan and I made a Christmas card in high school. I had a really good spray tan going. Like, I can see it to this day. I think I crimped my hair. We, I think we mailed some. Which is Probably. the best part. So, I wonder who took the picture. I don't remember. It was your mom. My mom? And <laughs> Kristen, if you're listening, her mom used to... I wonder if anyone else was this way at sleepovers. Oh, my your God. Your mom had to have been like, if that Jessica Sturden is staying the night, like, my laugh, and anyone who knows me knows, like, I'm my laugh isn't quiet. Mm-mm. She, you know what she would do. We could mm-hmm. do it, like, in unison, I bet. She'd be like,
0: girls... We'd, shh. Well, we'd go yeah and then she'd go shh <laughs> she'd go, like, so
1: intensely so. from the top of the stairs yes yeah, so thank you um morgan's mom for welcoming welcoming me into your house all the time <laughs> with though, open arms knowing that you, your sleep may be impacted yeah might be
0: um yeah and allison my sister uh was usually down in the basement with us and mm-hmm. cackling and one time we decided we say we went sailing we decided it would be a good idea to kill a bottle of captain morgan oh, okay. together and so and I, we didn't I, tell I was each other this. you
1: guys that night
0: did you I not barf partake? too? No. What? I was scared. Okay. Well, okay. So Jessica <laughs> didn't partake. That's news to me. But Allison and I didn't tell each other until later. But I went upstairs to bed. Allison stayed downstairs. I barfed in my bathroom upstairs for like half the night. And Allison was barfing in the bathroom downstairs. So, um, girls can't hang. It super <clears throat> ended well for us. But yeah, good times. Turning Needless up in the basement to say, by ourselves. Yeah. We've seen each other through. Lots of seasons in life. (laughs) I know, it's wild. Like half of our lives at this point, more than half. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously, like there's those young years are called your formative years for a reason. And I think for me, when I think back on like who I was, especially in junior high, like very insecure, very self-aware, I think that really formed a big part of who I am today. I think I... Probably a lot of it was self-inflicted. Like, I remember thinking people don't like me, that I'm weird, <laughs> that mm-hmm. which I am weird. We love but that's love fine quirks. <laughs> but uh, I didn't think it was a good thing then. And I mean, there was some like real external stuff. Like there was some like mean, a lot of mean girl stuff mm-hmm. and like exclusion and I don't know if I would call it bullying, but
1: yeah, bullying. Yeah, maybe bullying. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think like now I just what that translated into as an adult for me is like having a strong sense of empathy and not wanting other people to feel that way Mm -hmm. Um, especially when they feel when they're different or perceived as different or feel different so how do you think those years like formed informed who you are I think for one I can attribute like
1: my resilience and the the desire to keep going in the midst of like Adversity, which all sound—they're all buzzwords—but it's true. Like, I remember being—you know—and I don't want—I had—you know—I had a good childhood. But these are—you know—working with a therapist. Like, this is what she say. It's um, complex trauma with a lowercase little t trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, your needs were provided for. Yeah. I mean, we lived in Johnson County. Like, okay. Also, I love Britain, so that's I know, that popped out. into my head too. But we <laughs> lived in the ghetto of Johnson County. Yeah. No, only what up, so. Britain? Um, no, I did love that. But like we looked like we had been, we were, we were well provided for, all those things loved. But yes, so there was that component of being sad, sad for certain situations, and watching your caregivers who they are your rocks at that age kind of come undone themselves mm-hmm. over a very hard thing and you don't blame them. It, it's a hard a divorce is very hard, but I guess now like hindsight, 2020, I have compassion for that little girl, like mm-hmm. processing and dealing with all that, but ultimately still showing up every day, still trying, you know, doing my best I could in school. So all that to say, like the res- the resilience that came from that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point of like, you know, being insecure in yourself, it took me a long time to be secure in myself. It wasn't until probably, gosh, a few years ago that I really started trusting, trusting who I am, trusting my decisions. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I think that the unsureness and and all of that, like, it comes from that. Um, It comes from, you know again our parents did the best they could and they did good jobs yeah. but i think it just comes from not getting that reassurance that you may have needed in those formative years and then again that you were okay and kind of, exactly that you were okay yeah you took the words from my mouth that's something my counselor has worked through a lot with me mm-hmm. that simple statement actually we just had like our final session recently i'd only been going to her now we'd spaced it out like Every month or every couple of months, but our last session was recently, and she was like, "Ultimately, at the end of the day, you tell yourself you're going to be okay," and this applies to a lot of different things in life. Adulting mm-hmm. is hard; like you could say that every day. Like I'm going to be okay, but she's like, "There, are, you know, you you may not have heard those things growing up, or it's not even audibly hearing them, but seeing that mm-hmm. you that reassurance." Yeah, but yeah, it's the the determined attitude to keep pressing on like um that started really young and and i watched that and both my parents they were examples in that way of like hard things were thrown at them they kept pressing on i mean you become a a parent you're a child that becomes a parent a lot sooner than than what you you should have yeah so that that shapes who you are inevitably you become a natural caretaker to Mm -hmm. everyone you just do
0: at the Often, I think, at the expense of yourself, a thousand percent. Yeah,
1: and I watch that too. I watched, you know, my mom always kind of took care of others at the expense of herself. Mm-hmm. So a lot
0: of that is learned too. Yeah, which has a cost. Like not having those boundaries, like that's a boundary thing. Mm-hmm. Like you know, not looking out for your best interests and and doing all the things that you think people expect of you at the expense of like guarding your own boundaries or your your values or whatever, your peace of mind, then it like takes away from you and you're not able to be the best person, like the best Mm -hmm. version of you that you can be because your tank is always empty. Yeah. To get to kind of the meat of things. So when in 2019, I was (laughs) having a quarter life crisis. I was in Costa Rica by myself and And Amanda, uh, Jessica's twin sister, messaged me and was like, hey, I don't remember exactly what she said, but hey, basically Jessica's in the hospital, she's not well, can you come see her? And I was like, wait, what? What's going on? Like, I had no idea. And at that point, I think Mm -hmm. you'd already been in the hospital for a little while and um i was like well i'm out of the country right now but yeah let me get back with you when i get and you back. were struggling at that time weren't you yes that's <clears throat> what i mean my quarter life crisis <laughs> i was struggling yeah. big time anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and stupidly though i'm trying to give myself grace around it was doing it alone in a in a country a different country a different country <laughs> by myself Things having that a, induce anxiety when you're not anxious having a mental health crisis <laughs> yeah. um by myself in yeah. the middle of the jungle so during that time Jessica was back home in a hospital and she and her sister again reached out to me and then when I got back I I went and saw Jessica and it was like pretty shocking so I don't know before I get too far into it just do you want to like talk about yeah what led up to it and then like what it was? Yes,
1: yeah. So first, thank you for giving me a, an avenue to share my story. It is coming up on the four-year anniversary of all of this kind of coming to a head um, as far as the hospitalization went and... I'm getting more passionate about wanting to wanting to share. So thank you for giving me that avenue. You. Um, you were always a huge advocate for me and, and still are a big cheerleader for me. So thank you. it's so really starting in college is when I became very keenly aware um, that I had GAD, generalized anxiety disorder. So broad, common, yada, yada. But um, basically got to a place where I knew I had to do something about it to stay in college Um, so that's when I did start a medication in college called Lexapro again common one for anxiety or depression so that started jump in just real
0: quick yeah and Brittany and I mentioned this too and we talked about her experience Mm -hmm. I just want to be responsible with mentioning like the drugs that each of like, cause we both oh, take no. psychiatric medication and like Jess is going to tell her experience that was not positive. But I just want to say that like everybody's brain is so different and mm-hmm. different medications work well for some people. Some are like really terrible combinations for some people's brains. And so I, I don't know i just don't want to like scare anybody off from like yeah. trying out psychiatric oh, yeah. medication or anything like that um you know this isn't a, mm-hmm. this isn't a crusade <clears throat> against like psychiatric medicine or anything no oh my gosh um no.
1: it
0: but it is her sense. unique it is her like individual story and yeah i just wanted to say that i don't know if there's yeah. anything more that you want to say on that yeah
1: i'm glad you brought that up just of course um putting this out in a public space i'm sharing through my lived experience i don't have a medical background I've done a lot of my own research after, after this experience to empower myself and be what I would feel like better prepared if I were to be confronted with this challenge again in my life. But I'm not a doctor. I'm not, so I don't want to be advising on medical things. But you will hear me use medical terms, and um, my experiences with those. So just yeah. a quick disclaimer. Sorry to interrupt you. No, I that just was thought good. About- That's really good. It is all of your experiences you can share, but also yeah. people need to know like. No body, no one body looks like the other. Right. So I started my journey with Lexapro, and medication for anxiety in college. That stayed pretty consistent. But I would say then I kind of, I had, I started to have bouts with like panic, um, panic attacks in college. Again, these things if they're going to rear their ugly head, it's usually college, right? You're away <laughs> from home for the first time. Mm-hmm. You're overwhelmed. Um, you have a lot, a lot going on. So I I did stay, I stayed at Mizzou. I had a, an amazing four years. I was on the medication I needed to be on then. I felt like I was, I had a great community of others who were dealing with similar things. So all that to say like, that was when I was, I almost like accepted like, okay, it's okay. that that this is going on. Like I remember being terrified of like, obviously panic attacks are scary, but like, oh my gosh, I need medication to help with this. Mm -hmm. Like those types of things. So fast forward to you get out of college, you you step full force into the real world. Um, It hits you like a ton of bricks. And got my first big corporate job at a large engineering firm in Kansas City, um, was in human resources. My career was everything to me. Became, you know, got promotions, all of that was succeeding, very high functioning. Was my anxiety under control? No, not at all. Looking back now, oh my gosh, no. Never. Never managed well. Mm-hmm. Ever. I remember having thoughts of like, I will break if I do not change something. Mm -hmm. but but it's hard like I loved I was social I loved being out and about there was a lot of drinking
0: then I was in my 20s partying again working a ton I remember you always kind of struggling with whether or not you should be drinking but like there's so much social pressure and that's what everybody's doing that it's like Mm -hmm. hard especially at that age in your early 20s to Mm -hmm. be like Oh, I'm just gonna, you know, take myself out of this picture. Yeah. Um, but I remember you saying things like, I go out and like drink or whatever, and then I feel like an- more mm-hmm. anxious the next day yeah. when you're hungover. It's like, and we know that alcohol is not good for exactly. anxiety and depression.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Now we know, like, being in our 30s, so wise. So wise. You no, know, um, us wise owls, we now know what alcohol, yeah, does do to the, to the, brain i mean when we talk brain, just brain chemicals what it does like your serotonin like dives the next day like no wonder um but yeah that was a, a band-aid for a while but again it was easier to to live that life because I was in my 20s and single and, and everyone was doing it fast forward to 25 26. Met, i met matt my now husband so we started dating then still working that corporate job i was a recruiter then so um we'll just say this is around 2018 and then we're gonna get into 2019 like same thing as far as like just feeling like your job absolutely defined you I remember thinking, like, what would I be without my job? Like, that was like my belief then. Like, I was my job. That makes me so sad today, but I'm so glad I was. I'm now, I feel like, on the other side of that. But, like, I don't know what your memories are of me at that time because they're luckily like our friendship i've loved this it's been so low maintenance that there are times we have like been i mean god forbid busy in life because that happens and we may have like lost touch for a bit but then we always came back around so i feel like right before i got it got i got sick you in 2019 you had a birthday thing I ended up not making it to, I was already really struggling, that was in February, mm. but I hadn't seen you for a while before that. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that was, I was so in, totally engulfed in work and in that culture of work. And um, so it was all consuming is yeah. what I'm getting at. Matt and I would go on little trips together. We um, We loved going to Eureka Springs, but I remember this sticks out to me very much so so this would have been in march of 2019 and i had been not feeling great for a while but like the panic attacks had like kind of picked up in intensity and i remember i just couldn't even like we had a good time but like i had panic attacks i wasn't sleeping already on that trip it was very very rough i remember really struggling and and i'll preface travel has always been um, where my anxiety flares away from home But it was um, pretty unmanageable at this time, um, and that being spring of 2019. So I had decided, um, like, it was definitely time for me to figure out something. How could I manage this anxiety better? Because I wasn't. I was aware, like, but still what gets me is in my mind, I wasn't like, oh, it's your life-sucking corporate job.
0: No, it's not that that's what gives me purpose it can't be that and that would have made things really challenging for you if that was where you derived your purpose and like your sense of self and everything if that was what was the Mm -hmm. problem and you acknowledged that then like you said what would you have you didn't have that because that's where you were at that time exactly so
1: I decided to see a psychiatrist to discuss um what medicine I was on again it was Lexapro like simple anti-anxiety and SSRI is the classification. So she recommended something called the Genome Mind Test. I'm ready for like a quick fix, as anyone is, and they swab your cheeks, send it to a lab, and it tells you if your body's metabolizing the medication. So that comes back, and she's like, okay, I have good news and bad news. Good news, like we have an answer. Bad news, you don't metabolize Lexapro. And I'm like, my gosh like i was relieved i'm like i have an answer like when you can label or name something that's been going on you're like okay this has been the problem mm-hmm. like it's like a path the forward. medication isn't doing anything okay so she's like so we'll try a different one so we try a newer medication called pristique it was a different classification of medications called an snri that just means it works on a different chemical in your brain neuroepinephrine instead of um serotonin anywho without nerding out to that stuff it did not go well so medication didn't work well for me I got back on lexapro so so all that to say things got worse <laughs> like um, I got way more anxious I was having more panic attacks I was doing everything I could to get answers I was meeting with the psychiatrist I was, you know trying to find something some reprieve at that point she had me taking clonopin which is similar to Xanax um, i had taken clonopin in the past in college for panic attacks but at this rate i was taking clonopin to survive a single day mm. like to get through a single day and you're day. still working at this point. I am working full time i am i am never like in my mind so I'm. Not, that was like the last thing I was gonna say. If I was gonna stop working, I might as well have like stopped living at that point. Like that was what I thought, and I didn't. I didn't think that. Like I. But it you was, weren't suicidal, but no. But it was but like you it was purpose. like you can't get like you might not be sleeping, you might not be eating, but at least you're working. Mm-hmm. Like suppo- you know, however much work you could do, hardly functioning at that point. So kind of just a timeline of events. May of 2019, I would, I had been planning my best friend's bachelorette party in Nashville. I was the maid of honor. We went. I had a very, very hard time. Actually had to come home like a day early. Was very much struggling. I don't think a lot of people still knew, though, the extent of it. And I want to say also, like, while this presented as anxiety and panic attack, like, symptoms, I physically was ill. Like, physically something was going
0: on. Well, and it was interesting, like, later on when I looked back at pictures of Jess during this time, I could see it in your eyes that, like, you were mm-hmm. different already mm-hmm. at, at that point. Like, yeah, it, there was, like, a blankness to you. Like, it didn't yeah. look like you. It was pretty wild to look back at that and see that and Mm -hmm. be like I can see no
1: life that something is going on yeah there and it's funny you bring up my eyes because that's where a lot of people see it and now like I know when you look at like the well-being of someone you see it in their eyes Mm -hmm. like you do and I just was life was so exhausting to get through a single minute a single hour a single day I was like surviving on what I felt like was clonopin and messaging the psychiatrist, trying to get into the doctor's office. They had me on propranolol, which is a beta blocker. So they were throwing any prescription Oof. at me that they could as so we do. So that's like four different at that point, right? Um, yeah. Okay. I had a whole journal in my old phone of everything. Cause that's me type a, like I never liked having to take medicine. I was tracking everything. So Overly exhausted, not doing well at all. Most people would be like, "Screw this, I'm checking out." I was tracking everything I was mm-hmm. taking, um, but yeah, I was propranolol, clonopin. I was, I tried like CBD oil, like anything I could. But um, yeah, the psychiatrist literally told me in a message to muscle through. So if that oh, isn't the epitome oh. of um, mental health in our country, which we all know, I think oh. everyone's very aware that it's a problem at this point I'll after the through. pandemic that's when, I mean, the, yeah, that system just fails you. It does. And so
0: it failed me then. I just have then. an image in my mind of like a hamster wheel and you're just like spinning, going faster mm-hmm. and faster and faster and faster, just like throwing more shit yeah. into the hamster wheel. No one was asking what else is going on. So I'll preface like the the employer
1: I worked for, we had a health center on site. I was frequenting that place. Cause again, I did not feel good. I I felt awful. and they were taking my blood pressure all the time and doing your basic vitals but were you having like heart palpitations Mm -hmm. didn't you do a heart monitor i've done that yeah Uh but during that time it wasn't during that time. time no but all this to say no one was saying like someone needs to do lab work on this girl um you get thrown a behavioral questionnaire if you're if you come in somewhere anxious So June, June, things are coming to a complete head. My body is basically saying, "Okay." so I have not slept now. I'm not able to sleep like I'm physically not able to sleep. Um, I never felt it in my life. I don't wish it upon anyone not being able to sleep like that. Um, It wasn't even like my mind was racing. I just did not sleep. So that's indicator again not a doctor but i've He's talked like with that. a lot of neurologists or one that um, i consider to be an amazing one in our city who saw me when i was sick and he said that is the biggest um, indicator of something very wrong is if you literally can't sleep and you have your nights you can't sleep when you can pin it like but this i'm talking this is like and you can ask my husband like there is nothing that was going to put me to sleep <laughs> so that went on for a while like, um nice. It went on for almost two months of not sleeping. So, yeah, your body can't do that. But again, I'm still pushing through. So, I remember thinking this is how you justify things when it's like you're in survival mode. I remember calculating how little sleep I could get by with or survive without. Like, I remember like sugarcoating that as a way of survival, right? Like, we. It's it's wild what you do in those times. Like, I remember thinking, like, okay, another night of not sleeping, like, and I would still, like, try to go, get through another day of work. Still going to work. Yeah. So... Basically, from there, your body doesn't give you a decision or a choice anymore. Like well, the body, you know, like,
0: the, like all of our systems are regulated when we sleep. Mm-hmm. So you on top of to like sleep, like there's already a major problem going on, and mm-hmm. then you're not sleeping, which mm-hmm. like sucks in its own right. Yeah, but so then not also, sleeping for any like, person. Your brain isn't, like, doing the processes that it normally does and needs to do. You have no restoration
1: or recovery for your body. I I was a shell of myself. That's the best way to put it. I was an absolute shell of myself at that point. Like, I I just didn't even know. I think in my mind I knew, like, I was going to completely come undone if I was going to live. Like Mm -hmm. it would be, I would be in a hospital, but I didn't know what that looked like or what they would find.
0: But At that point, like I know you were notating stuff, but were you able to communicate that at all? Yeah,
1: I kept saying like, I I need help, I'm not okay. One memory that sticks out before I like lost my memory was like Matt and I, um, gosh, and he was so gracious with me through this whole thing leading up to being hospitalized. Um, Cause it was just, it was very hard. Um, we went to Shawnee Mission Park, he was riding his bike. I took a journal and I journaled at like a picnic table. But again, like I couldn't even be alone for more than like 30 minutes without can, like being just very fearful, paranoid, scared. Um, and I journaled and my handwriting is good and it all makes sense. But it was like um i had written out a prayer please lord anything to please help me feel like myself again like um please give matt patient like it made sense that's mm-hmm. what blows my mind it made so much sense mm-hmm. but it was an and definitely a cry for help but it was me it was me on paper like just saying like i'm i'm at a an absolute loss of what to do from here um, but that's one of my more profound memories before everything shut down, mm. so this is wild to me. Back to like healthcare systems failing you, not always, they can be really helpful. I had my daughter in a hospital and have good experiences since this, but um, my older sister, so this is when it was starting to get really bad. Came and picked me up one day and took me to Advent Health to Shawnee Mission because again I was in crisis mode and went to the ER there. And I do not recall what I shared with them, but I know their response was that I seemed like I was probably a stressed-out bride because we were engaged. So all in the midst of this, like we had gotten engaged, mm-hmm. um, and so that's what one like actual like medical person said. And we can have a whole other podcast episode on like when you're female and the Mm -hmm. different preconceived notions that are placed on you if you're just anxious, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, but I don't recall anything from that ER visit, not a single thing. I like, I compare it to, and I'll just say, I compare this whole experience to like a blackout, like a night that you drink too much, Mm -hmm. but these like three or four months were that's like the best analogy to me is like a blackout. Four months. So all this to say like it started then of like not remembering and but that was July? She would have taken me there, it would have been earlier July. Yeah. Mm-hmm. July. So they did not do any lab work on me at all. Um and I'm sharing this just knowledge is power. You know what to do, like ask for in certain times. I wasn't well enough to ask for these things then but no lab work at all it was a behavioral questionnaire and then they sent me home i actually was able to look at that record from that er visit in my um, advent system because i see them for my primary care now and just looking at those notes was kind of crazy because i don't remember it at all Mm -hmm but yes no lab work at all and at the time we found out later i had a severe uti that was like nearly systemic happening mm. in the background so uh, um that was with advent health my primary care doctor again no labs to see if there's anything physically there's not taking off. you seriously at that point not at all so again in their mind you know mental health separate from physical health mm-hmm. we treat the mind like it's detached from the body it's mm-hmm no i mean and you it takes one experience like this and not even to this extreme to realize like how separate these two are Mm -hmm. in our country and why you have to advocate if something you know just because you feel more psychiatric symptoms overly anxious panic attacks depression what have you confusion
0: um cognitive delays all that can be tied to physical Mm -hmm. physical things so like you were saying in the beginning you were feeling symptoms in your body mm. like mm-hmm. you weren't you weren't just you know experiencing things in your mind like it your body was telling you something too yeah and so exactly and it's just so it's so like it even feels redundant to say it's like of course your brain is connected it is yes. your body yeah <laughs> you know yeah. but it, it's so weird how it's like from the head up it's yeah. like disconnected in terms like Completely. in terms of like how and the medical like world sees your body. Yeah,
1: yes. I'm grateful that I know that now. Cause yeah, for I would push laps for any time, especially a female is feeling off in that way. So my primary care finally got to a place where we didn't have answers. She told me, I guess, and I don't remember this, to go to a um, facility in Olathe, a behavioral health facility, Cottonwood. I feel like I can say the name on here. Um, I'm comfortable saying it, but, yeah. um, and at that point, I don't recall much except for that's what we did because that's the only answer we had. And from there, yeah, I hadn't slept for two months. This is July. Now we're, I could probably remember the exact date. Um, it's right around like July 17th timeframe. My mom knows all the dates, the times, everything from this. But mm-hmm. from that point on, my brain went completely offline. And hindsight, 2020, I that was a huge blessing. Um, oh, God protected me. And that completely, like, brought, yeah, brought beauty from ashes in that way. Like, I, um, I, rem- I barely remember stepping foot into Cottonwood, thank goodness. And then I think that's when you could say I was in psychosis, which is very hard for me to say and talk about because the stigma so you know you say anxiety and that's one thing you say psychosis if you would have told me i would have any experience with that a few years ago i would have i would have been distraught um, that's well, just a like really even scary the way word. that we
0: use that word. You know, we yeah. use it so flippantly, like, oh my God, she's such a psycho. Yeah. And it has a connotation yeah. tied to it, but it's like it, it's a real medical condition and people yeah. have experienced it and you experienced it.
1: Yeah. And they called it acute psychosis. So quick, set on, fast, like, but it is no wonder now that I look back, a brain that has not slept, or mm-hmm. not sleeping. So. You don't have to have mental health struggles, issues, any of it to go into psychosis. Any human being can go into psychosis, right? Like you can take certain drugs that might send you into psychosis. You're, it's kind of almost a defense mechanism for your brain. But basically, like that's what my brain went into, and I do not recall. I don't recall anything from Cottonwood. It's a very eerie feeling for me. I can't even drive down that street in Olathe without like just getting like chills up my spine. Like it just, it was not a good experience for me. I know that through my family. My family definitely has some trauma from that facility. I know that my family spoke to me on the phone some when I was there. Again, I don't recall any of so you, that. Were you inpatient and were they not allowed to come I was see inpatient. You? They couldn't see me, really. So I don't remember who said this to me, but they're like, one of the most traumatic things for parents is to drop off a kid or a child at a facility like that. Because you have no idea what goes on behind the locked doors, and you don't. Um, My family, my mom and dad and stepmom came up to check on me. It was like that weekend. And I was only there for, to give like any kind of context, I was only there, I think, for two nights total. They came to check on me and they said I was doing fine, walking around. I have no idea. At this point, I clearly wasn't doing fine because I have zero recollection of it. And then they were told that on like a Friday. And then Saturday morning, I was found unconscious and this is like the harder part of my story but again thankful i don't remember like unconscious in the bed like not unresponsive severely catatonic Um, we can get into what catatonia is but clearly needed serious medical attention that a behavioral health facility could not offer Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and from there was taken to overland park regional and then In a way, like they tried, they tried to medically kidnap me. So they tried to take me back to that facility after being admitted to the hospital. Wait, they tried Um, to take you back to Cottonwood? mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Tried to take me back to Cottonwood. Yeah. So my family had to fight them with that. Um, You know, I don't know the extent of that experience because I was not really coherent, but. I was not doing well at all. And my family, thank goodness, was fighting for me, saying like, like I looked strung out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't. They're like, this, this is a high functioning, yes, she's had some anxiety, but like, she is not okay like we need answers and no she absolutely cannot go back to that facility Mm -hmm. um so then there were doctors stepping in saying no there's a severe uti going on we have to do rounds of iv antibiotics we have to get that and taken care of and you have a behavioral health facility still trying to have custody of you um money 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 in their pocket from insurance it's it's awful and again It's not everyone's experience. There's a place for those facilities. I'd recommend going anywhere but that one um, because I've seen this review multiple times with them now. Yeah, it's traumatic for the family and I'm just grateful. I don't remember those specifics and I'm so grateful my family fought for me and I ended up staying in a medical facility Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, It is crazy to me, the whole medical kidnapping idea that that can even happen.
0: Completely taking advantage of somebody who cannot advocate for themselves is entirely at all. vulnerable and helpless. Yeah, it's sick. It's like that's the opposite of what healthcare should be, right? Yeah. yeah,
1: those places they love love your insurance for sure.
0: So then, at this point, you're
1: at Overland Park Regional mm-hmm. inpatient. Yes, yeah. So along, like, they're you know they're running every test they can. They do. They're doing MRIs. Um, I know there was some, so the word is, oh, well, let me backtrack. I didn't touch on catatonia. Yeah. So catatonia is basically, it's a medical condition where your your body essentially shuts down. So it can be comparable to a coma. And again, I'm not a medical journal, so do some of your research Mm -hmm. on it if you're curious. It is kind of fascinating. I never heard of it before I went into that episode. But um, the way I... Look at it. Is like our our brains are similar to computers. So if your brain is on overload for too long, it, it's again a survival mechanism. Like it's your body's way, price. yes, of protecting you. Um, so you just shut down. So um, you're, you have um, like your affect. Is that what it's called? Like you have zero mm-hmm. affect. You don't show any emotion. Um, you're eating. You don't really eat. You don't. You do, You're not functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just there. Just alive yeah so um that is catatonia but so i was severely catatonic at that point um at everland park regional but they were running all the tests they could um they were they had done a lumbar puncture on me to check for the anti-nmdar encephalitis so that's where like brain on fire the documentary came about Um, thank goodness like a friend of my mom's i believe had brought that up it was a diagnosis that they just had identified, you know, I think 2007, 2012, something like that still, they're still coming up with a lot of research on. But I was showing, so if you watch Brain on Fire, I was showing almost identical symptoms as Susanna Cahalan. Um, And she was high functioning, very successful, and then it's like overnight, even though it's not, it's a long time coming that this all Mm -hmm. happened. That seems
0: like it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's interesting real quick. At, while you were in the hospital, I found that book at my house. I did not even know that I had it. That is crazy. And read that book. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that I had it. And yes. I don't know where it came from. But that is. But it, it's just like it showed up, and that's what I yeah. read while you were And I think at this point you were at KU. But it was oh, weird. my gosh. Mm-hmm. That is.
1: And I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I just had this thought that I wanted to share. When um, Before I did end up at Cottonwood – Um, So I'll say while my experience there, like, was very scary, it probably was an okay place for me to be when my mind, like, shut down, essentially. Because before I ended up there, I did, I drove, like, to meet with, um, like, a pastor at a church, and I remember, like, I didn't even recall driving. So there was a lot of, like, close calls where I was Mm -hmm. protected, thankfully, like, Thank the Lord that, again, like, cottonwood's scary, but, like, probably an okay place for me to be in for that to have happened at. So, anyway, fast forward to, yes, so then they're checking for anti-MDA encephalitis. That has to go up to the Mayo lab. So they treated me with IVIG, which is intravenous immunoglobulin. It is a steroid, um, and I responded positively to that. Again, I don't remember any of the stay at Overland Park Regional, but my family, Matt, my mom, my dad, everyone says I was acting more myself when they gave me the steroid, which would lead you to believe, you know, clinically you have a positive response. That's what you're, you know, you have what that is showing, the diagnosis. So that... They came back, it came back negative apparently. Since getting out of the hospital, all I did, you know, I've done a lot of my own research, gotten into like online support groups of people with that condition. They have found a lot of false negatives, so who knows? But basically at that point they couldn't give any more of that IVIG steroid because my test came back negative. Again, insurance, like you need a diagnosis to continue. Um, so I eventually was then transferred to KU Med. That just worked out, thank God. Again, was like admitted to a medical floor there. That was about, so that was around August 6th. It was uh, probably two or three weeks after being admitted Your to OPR. Two weeks. 29th birthday? 20, um, that would have been my 28th birthday. Yeah, so my spent so my 28th birthday at KU Med and I, I obtained my mom's journal from this whole experience. My mom wrote notes every day, as she would, we are alike in that way, and finally decided I was in a place where I could read it, so she gave mm-hmm. it to me not even that long ago. And what I discovered was, from the second I got into KU Med, so grateful for a bed to open up on a medical floor, but they were trying to say it was nothing medical and just send me to psych, quick like from the second I got up on that floor without getting too much more in the weeds because it was a lot of guessing and getting answers and then not getting answers and a lot of different doctors and a such a roller coaster ride for the next four more weeks um, what I can see is that if it were not for my family being there every single day, um, my parents, Matt, my sisters, our family friends, um, my friends, you, like people like you, all the thing, like I mean, I had, been, I was never alone. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for that. If it were not for that, I would have been admitted into their psychiatric facility very quickly. On and this that trajectory, my journey and what would have came of all that would have looked a lot different and that is a scary reality that we face in our country is that someone high functioning successful with a very full life can very easily fall into that system and that is what i'm passionate about
0: i remember so i corey and i came and saw you in august when i got back Mm -hmm. into the country and i remember leaving after that visit thinking how is she going to come back from this like i was i was like i don't Mm -hmm. how is she Mm -hmm. gonna end up being okay because you didn't really recognize corey Mm -hmm. you were like you you were trying to be polite but you were like eager for us to leave it was obvious Mm -hmm. and like you know your mom was your mom was like holding your hand and kind of like you were clearly very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. you know with with visitors Mm -hmm. and it was just it was so odd because you just you were not yourself like that's the mm-hmm. only way I know how to say it is like it wasn't Jessica yeah you were you had like a blank face you were you know you kind of kept looking to your mom for reassurance like yeah and like squeezing her hand like yeah. you were like cleaning terrified to her. state and I yeah. remember Corey and I just like leaving and we were just silent with each other and I just were like looking at him like what is gonna happen here yeah
1: Yeah, I think the way I best describe, like, when I actually look back at what I recall from being in the hospital, it seemed to me like I was, like, a scared child a lot of the time. Rightfully so, right? Like, um, terrifying. Thank goodness I don't remember a ton, but there's stuff I do remember. I remember being very terrified. I remember saying, is this a dream? Is this, this mm-hmm. is a nightmare. And I feel like I'm in a nightmare. I mean, it feels like that. It feels like when you wake up from a bad dream and you're like, whew, that was just a dream, except for it wasn't just a dream and it like it was happening. But in my mind at the time, I remember, cause I, I was in and out, right? Like mm-hmm. I wasn't there really like i had vital signs and i was living but i like in my mind and they had your consciousness oh yeah and they had me on a ton of medications and um i'm grateful for some of the ways i was protected and what i don't remember but there's still i mean i remember feeling like i could not move i equate it to being underwater like the weight of water when you're trying to move your arms or legs Mm. or muscles you have to you know you really have to use force so that's what catatonia felt like for me.
0: And like that presented as you, like rigidity. if I was in the room with you, like you were rigid like moving really Very slowly, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Like so everything was like
0: slow. I remember that feeling. I remember being
1: totally humiliated by not, by being there, by being in the state I was in. I was still aware mm. of how I was being perceived, even almost unconscious. So um, like
0: essential parts of your brain go offline but you're the still... part of you that's still like oh, aware yeah. of how you're being perceived yeah. by other people is like that's really interesting yeah that's that that's by your brain is like considered an essential function almost you know yeah. mm-hmm. so what made you come out of it you know you ask yourself why did certain things happen this way or
1: why they didn't and now I can truthfully say it all unfolded like how it should have as frustrating as it was for everyone in it at the time i got to where i could not speak or eat so i i eventually had a feeding tube and i i don't think that was long though i think i had a feeding tube for probably my mom is probably going to correct me at home listening to this but i think it was maybe like five days or something that they got to where like i wasn't eating long enough like i got to where i couldn't swallow at one point that they had to do the the ng tube i think is what it's Mm -hmm. called but so I got to where I couldn't speak, and that was when they then determined that ECTs had to happen. So an ECT stands for electroconvulsive therapy. It was once very controversial. I think it still can be. I don't think it is as much now. Um, you hear about it in the realm of you know the mental health world for treatment, but. It can treat several different things. At that point of not being able to speak, my family had to get a durable power of attorney for me. So another life lesson. You never think it's going to be you, ever. You can get in a car wreck tomorrow, whether the car wreck is in your actual vehicle or a health crisis, it can happen. So yeah, power of attorney, no matter your age, needs to happen. I would have never dreamed I needed one at 28. but. They got a durable power of attorney, um, my husband, and now husband, but fiance at the time, and then my parents and signed off on these treatments. So now where I'm at, I mean, my heart goes out to my family in that time to have to make that decision. But for me personally, again, this would look different for every single person it definitely was what I needed at that point. It was the only option or the kind of what was left to hopefully bring me out of that catatonic state. So I had six total ECT treatments. I think I had four outpatient. I think I did have two while I was still inpatient. So what that entails, and again, um, my memory of this, so I actually do remember it very well. There was a doctor that pointed out to my parents, they were amazed at how much I remembered from that procedure that they had never had a patient remember like I had, which again, the brain is incredible. But you basically are you're given anesthesia through a mask. So you, you're put to sleep and then they do, they, they give you the electroconvulsive therapy. They essentially give you a seizure um, in your brain And it resets your chemicals in your brain and your neuropath, maybe neuropathways. Again, I could be totally butchering this, but basically resets everything. So I joke, and now my family and I, we can joke, and Amanda, my twin sister, and I joke a lot about like, she'll be like, can I just get an ECT? (laughs) Because I do feel like it it reset my brain for the better um i think it it was my miracle procedure it's what
0: brought brought you out of all of it
1: it did and i fully believe the way to getting that i know it isn't easy um i know that because i've talked to parents since then who have children who have needed these and these parents have been very conflicted on do they do it what are the What are the implications? Um, You know, there is cognitive, there can be cognitive delays. Memory loss is a big one. So, like, I don't remember anything after these ECTs. I mean, like, my sister. Uh, she would tell me we like went through Wendy's on the way home after one, like her and my dad took me once. I don't recall that. Like, yeah. And that's fine. I don't need to remember Wendy's. Chicken nuggets (laughs) are good. Full memory. But like you, I just, I know I slept a lot after these procedures. I know my mom and dad say, and Matt say like ECT number two and four were very impactful from what they could tell. I do. Yeah. It was, it was my miracle, my miracle procedure and, and, I am very I proclaim my faith as much as I can and God I feel like fully he like no one could have orchestrated that to happen how it did. So I believe he was in that fully. Um, And it's just it's unreal to me like how that all came
0: about. I remember coming to KU again and seeing you after is either the first I think it was the second treatment. And Corey and I were sitting in there and I think your dad and Linda were in there and then. Um, Matt had just gotten off work and it was the first time he had seen you so it must have been the first treatment it was the first Mm -hmm. time he had seen you since you had gotten the ECT treatment and kind of like had come back and I just remember your guys's reunion like Corey and I just like kind of bowed out of the room because it Mm -hmm. was it was like it was the first time he had seen you had seen each other in months yeah wow that's yeah
1: because it was the first time he had
0: seen you in several months where you were
1: like more more yourself
0: in there yeah for, you know, a certain number of weeks, it was the first time he'd been able to have like a conversation with you or like yeah. for you to even be like, Hey Matt, like, yeah, acknowledge him like myself. Yeah. yeah. And so we that's just, like, just snuck out. We're like, okay, this is like a huge yeah. moment. But yeah. that was
1: really sweet. Yeah. it. That's something that always gets me choked up. It's thinking about in this whole experience, what I fully learned and got to witness after the fact too. I remember when I like came to per se, mm-hmm. like looking at my engagement ring. And I remember being like,
0: What? You didn't remember?
1: Well, I remembered we had we were engaged, but I remember being like, he's still here. Oh. Like, yeah. we're still engaged. Like he didn't change his mind about me after all this. And it's like a te- it was just so like oh my gosh, like a testament to like to just Unconditional love, like at 27 years old, that and my dad mentioned that in his father of the bride speech that he showed up every day, sat by my bedside, did not have to, but I needed that. Like when we touch on things earlier in our lives and our childhoods, like his, um, like unrelenting, oh, steadfast, like just so solid. And then, and that was just the beginning because the recovery, the healing journey post discharge and getting home from all that you feel like you're waking up from a bad dream you have to reorient your entire life and yeah. he was there every step of the way yeah
0: just a, a little testament to matt's character which i think is always really funny at jessica and matt's wedding amanda's speech she said and if you don't like matt you must not like yourself very much <laughs>
1: yeah you just must not like yourself <laughs> it was just so amanda but it was it was like the funniest yeah. thing i'll
0: never forget that but yes. it's true it was yeah, yeah.
1: I am pretty crazy about him, because this, I think, also just paints the picture well. Um, when I was reading my mom's journal of the whole experience, now I can like kind of laugh about this because I'm outside of it, but it would be scary in the moment, but I kept, I would ask my mom, I remember asking my dad a lot, um, am I dying,
0: because
1: mm. I, I felt like that, but I, would, I asked my mom once, did I raise from the dead? Okay. So again, I can like find some humor in that now, but that is what I felt like in the moment. Like I had felt like I had oh, died. You, you said that to her
0: after the ECT.
1: Well, yes. Like in in the hospital, I would say like, that. Like did, like, I, did I die? Did I just raised from the dead? Yeah, because oh, that's what it had felt like. And again, I don't recall saying that to her. But when I look back, I'm like, I I'm sure I felt that way. Yeah. I had been hit by an absolute bus, and did I just did I get another life? Like.
0: I mean, I remember another thinking, chance, and I did. I remember God. thinking that you were. Yeah, going to die. I remember mm-hmm. thinking I don't. Before the ECT, I remember thinking, like, just being like dumbfounded, like, how is this going to turn around? How yeah. is this? Yeah. How is she going to come out of this? And it was
1: just such a um, medical mystery. There was no resolution. Really. No, and and so with that. Um, and I feel like, gosh, this could be broken up into two episodes, so I'll make it, I'll like, I'll do like a cliff notes version, but... Um, after, like, through my recovery journey and working with a, a trauma-informed therapist um, who, and that was a godsend, I actually found a counselor who had firsthand experience with catatonia. Her daughter had actually experienced it. So that was unreal that I found her, um, and that's who I've been working with for over three years now. She's amazing. I got to a place where, for the longest time, when I was, I was being seen for follow-ups and KU psych, just therapy, you know outpatient clinic and I was very frustrated um, with wanting answers and saying like how was this not also neurology did neurology want to follow up with me I actually had a voicemail on my phone after I got out of the hospital of KU's neurology department trying to reach me when I was inpatient so I remember really questioning my psychiatrist who had seen me inpatient that Is there more going on? Was it encephalitis? Do I need to follow up with neurology? I remember I had that unrelenting need to find an answer Mm -hmm. because essentially just, you know, A major depressive episode with catatonia on paper there was a lot more that went into that Mm -hmm. Um, the infection infections can cause encephalopathy which is the swelling of the brain and that was it that was a given that I my brain was swelling Mm -hmm. Um, so the encephalopathy was going on but all that to say I had to come to a place where I was okay with not having a for sure answer Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it's a hard thing, but I think it lends into other areas of life too. And it's helpful. Like we don't have, we don't get answers all the time. Maybe we're not supposed to have them for a reason, but you know, my journey since then is just advocating as much as I can for myself. And um, I was as proactive as I could be when I we found out about the surprise blessing of our daughter, Mila. <laughs> um, we weren't planning her, but we were so excited about that news six months after getting married. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my body's not broken. Um, but I knew I needed to do everything, check all the boxes, meet with all the right doctors that had my health history to make sure I was fully prepared and my doctors were prepared for anything that could come up Uh, my biggest fear being like falling into the catatonia again
0: like when you're pregnant or after she had arrived Yes. and a little humans reliant upon you. Yeah, so I've worked with my therapist a lot on that.
1: I've I'm very much at peace with. You don't just go catatonic. It is a progression. It is a definite progression. You and have signs that now you would recognize. You've absolutely, been it all. and I am in an extremely, extremely different place. Yeah. Completely different. There's been big lifestyle changes made. Totally different career different just ways that, you know, I take care of myself, um, we don't drink often, we, you know, we watch, we just, I'm, I make sure I'm moving every day, a walk every day, like something to get outside, I'm way more in tune to my well-being mm-hmm. than I've ever been, and that makes a world of difference. It, it changed the way I view everything, but for the better, um, it changed how I, I how I live every day. It really did. But I'm, I'm grateful. I do not live in fear of that happening, but it has taken work with, with my therapist and, um, my faith and just knowing like everything. I mean, I do, I feel like I'm a walking miracle. Um, I feel like you are too. <laughs> you are. And I feel like if that were to, to come about again, I would be led to the answers I would need. I, yeah, I have done a fair amount of research. I was, I would send doctors that, I FaceTimed a doctor. He agreed to FaceTime me, like amazing. Dr. Albers at Overland Park Regional Neurology, um, he agreed to FaceTime me. It was two years after that event. I had just gotten married. He was, dumbfounded he was like you cannot be the same patient Mm. and he was and that was pretty cool it was amazing yeah he and he reassured me he's like we've seen a lot of false negatives come through for NMDA encephalitis he's like i don't doubt that that could have been the case but again he's like i'm not going to tell you yes it was but he's like, I've seen so many cases like yours since mm. then. That's
0: so Um And his
1: biggest thing, and again, I'm always thinking ahead. I was like, what would be, you know, a big red flag for you? And I know I mentioned this earlier. He's like, the biggest indicator with sleep. encephalitis is a, sleep, a change in sleep pattern or a, a complete change in sleep. So I do feel like, you know, Matt and I talk about it uh, in terms of, like, knowing what to do if, if, if. I were to show similar signs again but um, I'm I feel pretty confident that I will not go back to that place ever again with the work that that
0: I've done and just um, going through all of that firsthand I mean yeah you've seen it well you and your family have like seen it all yeah You would. I can't imagine that you wouldn't recognize very early happening. Very early on. Um, Do you still take psychiatric medication? Yeah. So I still take.
1: So I actually, coming out of that whole experience, um, it's pretty incredible what the body can do. I, when I came out of the hospital, I don't. I don't think I've openly shared this much. I was on 60 milligrams of Valium. Most people cannot function, like, move a muscle on that. I was able to function, if that tells you how my body had gotten, like, so almost immune to those certain medications. So wow. I they had to taper me, of course, off that much volume, um, <clears throat> and... I was still on Lexapro at the time, but then switched to, so obviously got off all the volume, but switched over to Zoloft. They had me, I was on 150 milligrams, so it was a high dose. Um, but yes, I am now on a much lower dose. So I take 50 milligrams of Zoloft, very pretty standard. And that, um, that medication has worked very, very well for me. Way better than Lexapro. I will say, I've, I feel like I, I have a different brain a lot of days, I whether that was the ECTs, a lot of it was just the experience and being in a different place in my life, but also maybe the, the different medication working really well. Mm-hmm do I have anything against medication? No. Is it a goal of mine to get down to 25 milligrams and then off eventually? Yes. Um, I do think that I'm capable of doing that at some point, but I don't really want to jump into that and see
0: if that wouldn't be a good idea either. So it's a precarious balance. It is like saying that you have a new brain. I remember feeling that way when I started Prozac, like it literally felt like a, switch was flipped in my brain Mm -hmm. to like turn the lights on yeah i mean it was profound the difference and i don't think that's always the case when somebody starts an Mm -hmm. antidepressant but for me it was very clearly the right medication and was what i needed to Mm -hmm. get to a much better place so yeah so yeah that matters a lot now that we have people who we have little
1: ones who depend on us and we need to be able to show up the best versions of ourselves and that's yeah. not to say i need the medication to do that but i i have me, needed I it i do right <laughs> now um along with a multitude of other things yeah, it's, you know right. i need movement i need um therapy. my faith i need therapy my family community it's all we're very multifaceted individuals it's not mm-hmm. just one thing yeah. but it's the sum of all of those that helps you to be Functional. the best version of you and show up in the ways you need to as a mom and a full-time employee and a wife and a daughter and a sister all the things so are we being kicked of the library i
0: think it's closing okay we'll we'll wrap up real We're being quick kicked out library q a real quick to wrap things up as they're flashing the lights on us in the library closing down up. the library on a friday <laughs> <Yeah>. really still <laughs> turning up in Lawrence our 30s trip. <laughs> yeah really okay what is your favorite thing about yourself just my natural ability to connect so
1: easily with others I feel like I've always had several different circles of friends, and that gets even more challenging in adulthood, especially when you start a family and your focus is your family and your day-to-day is working and being a mom and a wife, but I feel like I I stay in touch with people really well, and I have really great circles, different circles of friends, and I've, that's always come easy for me, just connecting with others on... Yeah on non-surface level things quickly. Yeah. I'm like, here's my life story, tell me yours. Yeah,
0: let's dive (laughs) right in.
1: Uh, What's something that you appreciate in other people? I would have to say um, humility, the ability to be humble, it's hard. Like we all wanna say like, I'm humble or show humility in what we do, but it can be really hard, so. Meeting someone who just exudes humility is really refreshing. And then I do want to add one because all the moms will appreciate this. (laughs) But now more than ever, I appreciate someone who can listen without Mm -hmm. feeling compelled to give advice right
0: away. Yeah, Yeah. you've always been a
1: very good listener, by the way.
0: Thank you. I often feel like I'm not because sometimes I've I've gotten better in recent years, but I feel like I used to do that a lot. Feel like I need to fix it, fix it. Yeah, Yeah. jump in and give advice, and it's like. oftentimes that's not what people are looking for they just want someone they just want to be heard yeah um what's a favorite book of yours
1: so it's funny because you've referenced Brene brown a few times and you didn't even know that i was gonna mention a Brene brown book but um the gifts of imperfection is one that everyone should read whether you're a reader or not you will learn
0: a lot through that book yeah and just Brene Brown in general is just... It's a badass. Just fabulous. She's a bad bee. What's something that brings you joy recently? I love... So we've been going
1: to the park a lot. So park hangs with Matt and Mila. That's like our weeknight thing. And mm-hmm. it just... Again, as a working mom, like you... You love your time with them at night because that's Mm -hmm. your quality time i i put down my phone when she gets home from daycare and i do not pick it up till she goes to bed like and it's not like ooh, cheer for me but it's like that takes discipline and i also have no interest in my phone if she's with the limited time i get with her Um, my older sister once told me and i love this she's like it is quality over quantity as far as time goes and it is like that quality time with your kids so I get the most joy out of going to the park with her right now. She loves swinging and the joy on her face <laughs> at the park. And then the joy I feel and my husband, like we're just little kids again. And it's like, mm-hmm. it brings out that child in you. And you forget, like you can find joy in such simple things
0: mm-hmm.
1: like it. So that's been so much fun lately. Yeah. Our little weeknight park visits. Little and ones then, are such
0: good teachers. They are. They're the best teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, with the phone thing, I feel that, but my struggle is I want to like take pictures of them and record mm-hmm. everything they do. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I know that they more so appreciate just like me being present with them than they do having they do. Like, a phone in their face, but I'm like, oh,
1: how I am know. I going to
0: remember every I think that's thing. the conundrum
1: of being a millennial mom. Yeah. Um, I feel that struggle and that pull like tug each way every day. My Matt is so good at reminding me. He's like, you can
0: also just be present in a moment. And remember, and remember it better, it better. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's important. What's something that you want people to know about anxiety or any difficult experience or diagnosis that they maybe have let define them? Yeah, I would just say
1: this is a big one for me. So I'm going to read it because it, I put some thought into what I would say here just because I think it's hard sometimes to eloquently communicate something fly. like this. But um For years, I, and recently, I mean, it's, I'm not, I haven't perfected it. I would talk about anxiety and I would literally say my anxiety, my anxiety. That is so powerful to like, you are literally claiming Mm -hmm. a feeling, a condition, a diagnosis, what have you, um, something we all feel at certain times, but I've always talked about it in that way. And my counselor corrected me. She has corrected me numerous times and said it's not your anxiety, Mm. you don't say my anxiety, you feel you might feel anxious or get anxious, but But it's it's not not my anxiety. Um, So what you're doing then is you're anticipating the anxiety before it's even come by talking about it in that way and giving it that power. So while anxious moments look different for me today and they're no longer debilitating, I still fall into the habit of saying things like my anxiety will flare up and we don't have to give it that much power, like I've said. So just shifting your perspective on how you view those challenges can be really freeing and they can help you to move past feeling like a victim to a disease, a mental health obstacle or a traumatic experience. Love that. So again, the same, you know, my... My medical trauma, you know, like it does. You know, I had a scary experience yeah. in a healthcare f- facility. A few
0: Degrees of separation between you and the feeling or the experience. Exactly. Okay. Yep. It was an earring.
1: Yep, my <laughs> turquoise just fell off. Shit.
0: We're coming unraveled here. <laughs> yeah, the Lawrence Public Library. I know. As a little, I'm like keep glancing at the door, like anticipating someone We're coming and being rules. like, "Get out." Okay. Well, Jess, thank you for sharing that story I know it's like a deeply personal thing and you know really like a defining experience in your life so I just want to say thanks for sharing that here and it's hard I think as 31 year old adults to with kids to make time for like each other but Mm -hmm. I think we've always connected over like talking about real things in life and so to me this was just like kind of a hang for us so yeah so it's just it's good so to like fun. get together and do it and I'm glad that we were able to yeah. do it in person it's been so much fun thanks for having me you're welcome thanks for listening to the makers dreamers doers podcast with me Morgan Barrett Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett__ underscore underscore, and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.